So welcome back. And if those online are joining at this time, uh, welcome to you. And those of you who've already been online, welcome back. Our exploration this evening is on how to utilize Dharma wisdom to help us find well-being amidst the difficulties of our daily lives. And I, in general, refer to that as the difficult, this whole category of what is the difficult and the difficult can be inner difficulties we're experiencing with ourself in some way. It can be difficulty that is financial or situational or work-related. That's part of the difficult. It can be difficulty with others of one form or another. That's the difficult. It can be difficulties that are, uh, are arising because they're difficulties of suffering of one kind or another of people we're close to. That's the difficult. Or how we're trying to care for them or cope with this change in their situation. That's the difficult. We can have uh, uh, conflict situations in our communities or in our culture, in our politics, and our identity tribes, and our country, and our world issues, such as climate change that large, that's the difficult too. So from the most inner to gradually outer and outer and outer, those challenging moments I'm referring to as the difficult. And the invitation is to see how Dhamma wisdom can help us with this. There would be endless examples of this. Literally, we could do a marathon of some number of days and never run out of ways that the Dhamma can help us with the difficult. So I've only chosen a few for this evening and it's um, based on an experience I had teaching in London recently with a group of students over there. And uh, it was well-received and so I thought I would share a different version of it over here. It's quite a bit different, but the same uh, teachings. So, for our purposes this evening, the difficult is the reality. If we can change the difficult, by all means, let's do so. But, oftentimes, we can't change it, or we don't know what change would even be good. So in this moment, in the here and now, we're living with the difficult. It's the way it is. It's like this. And then the um, question is how to do so wisely. Wisely in terms of mind state and wisely in terms of our capacity of heart. Throughout this evening, I'm going to read a series of poems uh, as part of giving you the felt sense of this. And it's uh, in all aspects of the Dhamma, the felt sense is really important because insight, this Vipassana practice that's a practice of insight, insight is an intuitive moment. It's like a bolt of lightning. It's an aha moment. It's not a deductive or inductive logic it's, it's like an inside, oh, I get it, kind of feeling. And sometimes poetry helps us with that in a way that, that a linear kind of prose discussion cannot do. And um, that's why the, this uh, annual poetry day and this day of poetry that I'll be doing this Saturday, there's no Dhamma talk. It's the sitting and walking practice and then... Uh, Everybody in the room reads poems that, from this booklet that I give. And we let the poems speak to us in terms of pointing out uh, Dhamma aspects. So starting out with the, uh, the familiar David White and one of his poems called The Well of Grief. 
Those who will not slip beneath the still surface on the well of grief, turning downward through its black water to the place we cannot breathe, will never know the source from which we drink. The secret water, cold and clear, nor find in the darkness glimmering the small round coins thrown by those who wished for something else. So that's the invitation to uh, open to the difficult so that we can get down to the very secret of it, the mystery of it in this way. Tonight I'd like to present to you, if I have time, we'll see how this goes, four separate skillful means that arise from our Dhamma practice that uh, offer us agency and an alternate means of responding when confronted with the difficult. And these four ways start with the four right efforts that are described in the fourth of the, the Noble Truths wise effort. And then the second of these is understanding the difference between a reactive mind and a responsive mind. And the third is the difference between goal and intention and how to really line up with intention. We were doing that in the uh, uh, meditation that preceded this tonight. And and the the fourth is um, I'll wait to see because we may not get to that. And if not, I'll save it for another time so that you can have beginner's mind. So I won't... I won't reflect that ahead of time. From these skillful means, as they are called, skillful means is one of the way that the, uh, the, the Buddha invites us to meet the moment and he, he invites us to experience the moment for ourselves and to find freedom for ourselves. And these different ways that we can do that are, quote, skillful means. And so from these skillful means, there can be various fruits arise. One is an increasing ability to consciously bear the difficulty so that we can choose to stay with the difficult, that we don't get consumed by it, we don't get eaten by it, we don't get swept away by it. We are not collapsing, so the opposite of of bearing the difficult, staying with it, is to collapse underneath it. A second fruit of this sort of activity, of uh, these skillful means, is that there can arise a clarity of mind that prevents you from being defined by what is the difficult in your life. That you cease being defined by it. It's still there. It doesn't go away. But you are no longer defined by it. It is characterizing the moment, but it is not defining it. This is uh, such an achievable fruit. And yet, so often, people don't have the faith to commit to practice, which is actually not all that much practice in reality, to be able to uh, start to experience this moment of watching your relationship to the difficulty in your life move from defining you to only characterizing you. Just in one little place or another little place. And then it grows to more and more difficult things. The things that are longer lasting difficult. Things that have bothered you your whole life. Huge traumas or big disappointments or uh, health characteristics that you now have. And you move more and more from being defined to simply characterized just through practice not becoming a, a new improved version of yourself but just as you are but showing up arriving in the here and now with this clear intention of how you wish to relate to experience it's so available it's so available and then a third fruit that arises is the capacity to respond to the difficult in your life in a wise way. And um, this response too may be an internal response only, 
because you can't do anything about the difficult externally or it may be external or it may be internal and externally but you feel empowered you feel as though you have agency in relation to the difficult you can in effect dance with life and the, my book on uh, the, the dancing with life is all about how to respond to the dukkha, to the difficulty of life, to the unsatisfactoriness of life, for the stress of life, for the pain of life, so that we do learn that we can uh, develop this ever larger capacity of, of, of response, of agency. That again is here and now, not some imagined, not uh, running through some belief system, but running directly through our experience. And then the fourth of these fruits that I'm pointing to tonight is that we gain a series of insights, the fruit of insight arising, that allows us to grow wiser and more compassionate in all aspects of our life. We start to truly see with Dharma eyes. We hear with Dharma ears. Our heart has a spiritual eye that is awakened that that uh, we experience things through our heart and the last part of our sit tonight what I was doing was actually just awakening the heart and just opening to the experience of the heart and I started to share that with you and I thought I've given them enough for one evening but you can try that just opening to the experience of the heart in this moment it's a beautiful practice Another little poem. It's called Allow, and it's by Donna Falls. Allow. There is no controlling life. Try corralling a lightning bolt containing a tornado. Dam a stream, and it will create a new channel. Resist, and the tide will sweep you off your feet. Allow, and grace will carry you to higher ground. The only safety lies in letting it all in. The wild and the weak, fear, fantasies, failures, and success. When loss rips off the doors of the heart, or sadness veils your vision with despair, practice becomes simply bearing the truth. In the choice to let go of your known way of being, the whole world is revealed to your new eyes. This is, uh, as you will see as we get further into this exploration, so in line with our experience of the Dhamma, this letting go, letting go, letting go, this too, receiving this, this too, this too. So the first of these four skillful means of responding to the difficult in our lives is the practice of the four wise efforts. So there's a kind of traditional way that uh, they've been uh, described and taught. But here in uh, recent times, I've been experimenting with a slightly different way of talking about the four wise efforts. And I call it the ABCs of the four wise efforts or the ABCs and Ds because we get that far since there's four of them. And this is a way to create a mnemonic to help us remember that these are choices we have in our daily lives when the difficulties arising right now and we don't have time to think, oh, I want to be a good yogi and I want to be very mindful and da-da-da-da-da-da. But some little quick way to cut to the chase of how do I respond right now in terms of wise effort when the difficulty is starting to fill my mind or is coming at me in the form of another person or arising conditions in my body or in the surround. So A is for abandoning and what we learn is we learn to abandon mind states that are clearly unwholesome. So this is this A is the um, uh, this is often referred to as abandoning. We ab- abandon unwholesome mind states. So say something difficult arises in your life, 
and you get this kind of helpless anger, a kind of rage that actually freezes you. It's just a mind state. And when it's uh, when it's when it has uh, when it is there, we recognize it as a mind state, and we know that the wise relationship to it is to abandon it. With smaller things, we can sometimes abandon them just like that. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna stick here. This is this is not a wholesome place for me. And we just let it go. We just move our mind somewhere else. Other times, it can take a long period of time, minutes, <laughs> hours, and off and on days or even weeks <laughs> to abandon this repeatedly arising unwholesome mind state. But nonetheless, we can hold that intention of abandoning and we learn what abandoning feels like for us. We learn how to move away from. It's already arisen. So we're already in it. In this particular thing. We'll see other states. But this is when we're already there. As we learn that it's possible. To, uh, uh, to abandon. As we, we get the idea in our head. And we start conditioning the mind. To turn to that possibility. There's a gradual inclining the mind. And so with more and more to the more difficult, we can abandon it when it's arisen so we don't take birth in it in any kind of an ongoing way in that moment. There I am, I feel myself freeze up or go into this rage or whatever. And I recognize it and I just walk away from it. No, just walk away. Leave, redirect the mind. And the mind to your everlasting surprise, it does redirect. It hasn't the other thousand times you tried, but the thousand eighth time you tried, it abandons. It really abandons. This, again, is all real. It's not a theory. It's not a belief. It's to be practiced and to see for yourself. So this is the A, this abandoning. Other times, we see that we're going down a dark path for us. We see we're going into a funk. We see that a mood is starting to form. We see that we're starting to uh, uh, start to fuss at ourselves, to point the finger at ourselves, to yeah, 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 or the world, or another person, to blame, to go into shame, whatever it may be. That we, we see that we're moving to what is an unwholesome mind state, which is only going to bring suffering. Most likely, this has occurred around this same thought pattern many times before, or if it's a new one, it will occur many times. And so the, the, we become aware in a way that we learn to beware of those. We see them, we recognize them instantly as moving towards an unwholesome state. And instant doesn't mean instant, instant. It means whatever instant is for us. We could be moving into a bad mood early, starting early in the morning and we didn't recognize it till around lunchtime. But at least we're recognizing that we're moving in that direction before it's fully taken us over. Or it could be a kind of depressive state or a sense of helplessness or being lost in this old story. So the, the B is to beware of these unwholesome mind states as they're starting to, uh, to arise. And again, this is straight from the Eightfold Path that when it's, if it's already arisen, we abandon it. If we are moving towards it, then, then we divert attention we are uh, we are alert in a way that allows us to be wary, to be awake, to recognize that oh, insofar as there's choice, I choose not to go down this path anymore. I choose not to let this continue insofar as I have choice. I use this phrase as best I am able 
to talk about this. So for the be the as best I'm able. So we we beware. We are we are aware. We're wary of these. We know that we have a tendency in certain aspects of our life for these to arise. You know, we all do in one form or another. So we're beware of them. We we know to be alert. We know to be wary in relation to them. And so that we have this relationship and, but our grounding is in our intention to, uh, divert attention, to, uh, to, uh, avoid them. That, that is, that is our measurement is, am, am I awake to that they're starting to arise? And am I connecting to myself? That insofar as I can choose, I choose not to have it continue, to not develop. As best I am able points back to the fact that we are practicing. We're practicing what? Practice. We're practicing uh, developing our understanding, developing our ability to incline the mind. We're not practicing results. And uh, uh, we so often get uh, defeated because we don't mean to, we haven't uh, noticed it, but we in fact have fallen into resulting. So our expectations are all around resulting rather than are we showing up for practice. Results are based on so many different things other than our abilities, other than what's true right now. Like we may have this strong intention, this strong aspiration but we're not able to produce very much. And we go, oh, my practice is failing me or I'm failing the practice, so I'm, I'm a, a, a bad yogi, I'm not a good Buddhist, whatever, all that judging mind and comparing mind that comes in. But that's so erroneous. Oftentimes, when we hold the intention to not go on into this uh, unwholesome state when we're seeing the movement towards an unwholesome state and we stay right there resisting it but we lose anyway we're overcome anyway that may be the best practice even because you are staying there without reward you're learning to incline the mind heart and to be able to stay grounded in the moment not dependent on the conditions of this moment it's not going well but you stay with, insofar as I am able, as best I am able, I choose not to go into this unwholesome mind state. And all difficult mind states are unwholesome. So, it's just clear. It's just clear. You're practicing. You're practicing practice. You're not practicing resulting. And so, notice. Notice when that is happening. So, uh, it can help us uh, uh, to understand that, uh, to use the mindfulness to say, oh, I'm falling into this old pattern of anger. Oh, I'm reliving this big disappointment. It's starting. I don't want to hang out in that space. I don't want to get caught in that eddy. Like once you're in the state, you know it goes round and round and you have the same old thoughts you've had over and over again for five years or 25 years. You know that. So you go, I'm going in that direction. I don't want that experience. It's a bad trip. (laughs) I don't want to take it. Terrible way to spend a vacation. (laughs) So... We, we deliberately move away from it. We, we direct the attention somewhere else for, because we, we're not taking birth in it yet. So an example of this is uh, this wonderful poem by Tony Hoagland. And uh, Tony died in the last, this last 12 months. Um, there's uh, so many uh, uh, poets that I use regularly and uh, my teaching that have died in the last, uh, uh, including um, uh, Jane Oliver and uh, Darius Merwin. So this is called Phone Call by Tony Hoagland. Maybe I overdid it when I called my father an enemy of humanity. That might have been a little strongly put, a slight over-exaggeration. 
an immoderate description of the person who at that moment, 2,000 miles away, holding the telephone receiver six inches from his ear, must have regretted paying for my therapy. What I meant was that my father was an enemy of my humanity. And what I meant behind that was that my father was split into two people, one of them living deep inside of me like a bad king or an incurable disease, blighting my crops, striking down my herds, poisoning my wells. The other, standing in another time zone, in a kitchen in Wyoming with bad knees and white hair sprouting from his ears. I don't want to scream forever. I don't want to live without proportion, like some kind of infection from the past. So I have to remember the second father, the one whose TV dinner is getting cold while he holds the phone in his left hand and stares blankly out the window, where just now the sun is going down and the last fingertips of sunlight are withdrawing from the hills they once touched like a child. The abandoning, the call, the, the call to abandon, the call to avoid, to, the call to be, uh, to be aware, to beware when these, uh, these unwholesome mind states around the difficult are arising. So C is for cultivating. And this arises when we see the mind is moving in a wholesome direction. Wow, it's moving away from wanting. Oh, here is this situation where this, push and pushes, this person pushes my buttons. But for some reason today, I'm not going for it. Look at that. So when this kind of uh, mind state arises, where it's not getting caught up, in the unwholesome, it's not, it's not taking birth in the difficult. We want to cultivate it. We want to encourage it to keep going. We appreciate it. We acknowledge its wholesomeness. Uh, we can even have amusement about it. Can you believe this? That this is, your mind's actually doing this this time? So we don't, uh, we keep a humble mind, a modest mind. We can have gratitude that the mind is going in this direction. We're very careful not to identify with it. And uh, we uh, encourage it. We give it intention. We give it appreciation. We encourage the mind to keep moving in a wholesome direction. It can be, uh, when we first see this, it can be shaky, like this person will continue to push your buttons or maybe they're saving their best in the moment for a few minutes from now. So we know that we need to bring encouragement when the mind's not getting caught up in the difficult, when it's not grasping, when it's not clinging, when it's not demanding that this person be other than they are in the case of the difficult person. So we're cultivating. And just as abandoning has a feeling, a a felt sense, just as beware, being wary of, has a felt sense, so does cultivation have a felt sense. So we know, and if we stay present in our body, what this feels like to cultivate. We recognize it. And as the more we become familiar with it, the more quickly we get to it. And so we can really cultivate these, these wholesome mind states when they're starting to appear. And they will appear more often and they will become stabilized more often for a longer period of time with a greater depth through this cultivation. Another little poem for you. This is from uh, Mary Oliver. It's called The Uses of Sorrow. And she says in print, in my sleep I dreamed this poem. Someone I loved once gave me a box full of darkness. Someone I loved once gave me a box full of darkness. It took me years to understand that this too was a gift. I think that is really a profound truth to understand for yourself. So this cultivation of the whole wholesome mind states, 
Here's the difficult person in front of you, the person at work, your sibling, your best friend who's becoming a friend of me. And this too is a gift. This too, because it's a chance to practice, to cultivate when the mind is, in a, is still in a wholesome state, despite conditions that would pull it into uh, uh, an unwholesome state because it's difficult. We, we cultivate it. The D of this is for development. And that is when the mind is really in a wholesome state. You are, you're feeling so at peace with yourself that you're not rattled by the, by the presence of the difficult in your life. It can be a worry about the future. It can be something physically that's wrong with you right now. It can be something from your past. It can be another person. It can be a worry about the finances or your work life. But your mind is so stable, so uh, at ease with itself that it's just not reacting to the presence of, a, of, of what's difficult that the mind is knowing. It's, yeah, it's, it's like, I don't know what's going to happen here, but you don't, there's no papancha mind. There's no explosion of all of these other activities. We cultivate the movement towards, and when we're in it, we develop a wholesome mind state. We get, we go deeper in it. Oh, what does this really feel like? Oh, uh, uh, what is the what is this this uh, what's what does my body feel? What's different about my body right now? Oh, so it's it's not so much this thing about the 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 specifics of the difficult. It's about my state of mind itself. So I can feel the difficult, and yet I can have this this relationship that is not a mirror of the difficult, but is a way of responding to the difficult. It's not like it's not it's not being defined in this way. And so we really get to know what that feels like when attention is paid to a, a wholesome mind state. The psyche, your psyche, thinks, oh. She's really interested in this. He's really interested in this. Energy follows attention. And the more we pay attention to the wholesome, because we tend to pay attention to the unwholesome, it's got more zing to it, the more we will stay in the wholesome. All of the unconscious parts of us will cooperate more. So these are these four, these four wise efforts that's defined as part of the, the Eightfold Path in the teachings of the Four Noble Truths. So let's just say them out loud, since we're using them as a mnemonic. Let's say them out loud. I'll say it and you repeat. This is your ABCs of wise efforts. A is for abandoning. B is for being, for beware. B is for beware. C is for cultivating. And D is for developing. Since we know we learn by repetition among other ways, A is for abandoning. B is for beware. C is for cultivating. D is for developing. And one last time, because everybody asked the Buddha three times to get the Buddha to agree to something that he was kind of saying, not now. But if you ask him three times, he'd go, oh, okay. (laughs) So our third time of asking for the Davis to help us, A is for abandoning. abandoning. B is for beware. beware. C is for uh, cultivating. cultivating. And D is for developing. So let's just close our eyes for a moment. Let this in. Check in with yourself that this guy sitting up front really means this. And I may be open to meaning it too. You don't have to mean it, but you're open to the possibility that in fact you have this level of choice around the difficult.
a second skillful means when we're dealing with the difficult in our life, whatever the difficult is, is a a response coming out of how, as the Buddha would describe it, we get diff- we get entangled in difficult emotions and mind states. And various suttas, he makes reference to this being entangled, that we're entangled. So it's not just that something arises and then it is and we are in relation to it. We get entangled in it. We get intermixed in it. We get identified. We get... Uh, all askew inside it there is the feeling is one of entanglement it's really a wonderful word to be entangled you know like when you've got a uh, your telephone cord of course nobody's got telephone cords anymore never mind (laughs) those of you old enough to remember what a telephone cord is (laughs) how it would get entangled or string gets entangled or anything your necklace gets entangled whatever it may be for you Uh, that same entanglement happens around the difficult. And the result is one of grasping and clinging and that the tanha or thirst that is described in the second noble truth. We're caught. We're caught in wanting uh, sensations and, uh, that we desire. We're caught in wanting to become something or be something in this moment or in a future moment. Or we're caught in not wanting to be or not wanting this situation to be or to be in the situation. We're entangled in it. We can't just let it be. It's like this. We're entangled. And uh, when we uh, see that this, we see that we're, we are in fact entangled with the difficult. So the difficult can arise just as we saw in relating to it through the four wise efforts. The difficult can arise and we have different ways to understand the difficult and approach it as practice. And in this skillful means, we're moving from a reactive mind state to a responsive mind state. And this is what I referred to earlier to give us two passes at this so that we would have a uh, possibly uh, more uh, taste for what it means to move from reactive to responsive. It may seem like you already know this, but um, do you know it as a felt sense? Can you recognize in real time when you're being reactive? Maybe. Can you choose instead to be responsive? Maybe. But for sure, with practice, with being mindful, with investigating, with choosing, uh, inclining the mind towards being more responsive rather than reactive, we can all become more responsive and far less reactive. And as I said, this is something that uh, can be tasted, felt rather immediately. So a reactive mind state is one where we're not willing to be with what is. So there's some sort of demand that things be different. We can demand the past is different. We're demanding a different past. Now, good luck with that. But it, 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 it happens all the time to us, right? If we really recognize it, we're feeling like this shouldn't have been, this wasn't right, I didn't deserve this, or I should never have done that if only... We're demanding the past be different. And that isn't the way to redeem, to get free from the past. We can get free from the past, but it's how we respond in this moment and future moments that redeems the past. The past becomes something other than meaningless suffering. It becomes a means that leads us to wisdom, to a responsive life. So uh, we in uh, in a reacting mind, we're res- we are reacting to some stimulation. The stimulation may be that something's pleasant or unpleasant. If it's pleasant, we want it. If we have it, we want more of it, and we want to justify why we have it and others don't. So that's all this reacting to the pleasant. And there's a lot of suffering in reacting to the pleasant. What if I lose it? How can get more out of this? In fact, we get so reactive to it that we actually miss much of the pleasant 
in the pleasant. It's quite ironic and quite easy to see for yourself. Just watch around your next time you're enjoying food or you're enjoying a friend's company. It's quite easy to see how we start uh, reacting to it rather than responding. And uh, so we it can be the stimulant of pleasant and unpleasant. It can be reacting out of old habits and beliefs. So often our mind is just reacting to what's been conditioned in a long time ago by ourselves, by conditions, by our parents, by the environment we were in in terms of the population group. Or it can be uh, reacting because others have told us this is how we're supposed to react. And so we've never really considered how we really feel. We're just reacting to this particular situation because that's what the people we know are reacting. And it's characterized by a lack of possibilities. We only know this reaction. We only know this range of reaction. Rage, anger, justifying, very narrow range. Or it could be some other range. I just took that as an example. And it's a feeling of automatic reactivity. There is a fixed view. There's a sense of bypassing a moment when we would say, well, what is my range of choice here? We don't even consider it because we're reacting. And this reactive mind state is not wholesome. It is not wholesome at all. It is in. It is to be abandoned if one is moving towards it. One is bewaring of it and doesn't fall into it. It moves, uh, moves to avoid falling into it if possible, just as we saw in the wise efforts. And uh, there is so little choice when we're in reactive mind state. The felt sense of it is narrow, it's compressed. And there we are. We're just reacting. We can spend, in certain areas of our life, the majority of our experience, or a significant amount of our experience, in a certain area of our lives, is just reacting. Um, Maybe it's with you and being uh, with a kind of friend, or being in the presence of uh, someone that you consider, quote, better at something than you. Or it can be, and just when you think about yourself and uh, uh, how you like yourself. You don't really explore how you're re- a deep acceptance of yourself. You're just reacting to your idea of self. And it may be your mother's voice that's reacting or your father's voice or that frenemy that you had in grade school or middle school that was putting you down. There's a, the sense of narrowness, of compressedness, this lack of of being in real relationship to what's arising in this very moment. And so, uh, uh, in contrast to this reactive mind state, we can choose, we can cultivate, we can move towards the wholesome mind states, we can develop in the wholesome mind states this responsive mind. So we're moving from these four wise efforts to then seeing the reactive and responsive nature of the two in each side of this. And in a responsive mind state, there is this feeling of pleasant and unpleasant. The same feeling. There's the same uh, condition of our preferences and our views. So there's not, you're not different in that sense. It's that you choose not to identify with. So it's arising. All of the impulse could still be arising but you don't yield to that impulse you discover there's a little bit of choice of choosing and you choose it and you uh, you it creates that because that little bit of choice through mindfulness through compassionate intentional mindfulness there's a little bit of space and you pause you don't go into that reactive that impulsive you pause for a moment to more fully experience it to see what's wholesome and unwholesome, to see if you have any choice of skillful. And you don't think it through like I've got my little checklist here. It's just like in the pause and in having practiced, having thought about this over and over again, there just arises this knowing. And it will come. It will come. In various parts of our life, it takes a lot longer than other parts. But it will come. 
this sense of having a choice, that there's space around our experience. We're not glued to the experience. We are not just reactive to the experience. Our mindfulness stays with the experience, but it doesn't get uh, caught on to. It doesn't get entangled in the experience the same way. There's a period of time, it grows in how long it is, where we don't get entangled. Or we start to get entangled, but it's not so entangled that we can't just move away. The four wise efforts again. And that pause, that sense of spaciousness, has, you can view it as don't know mine. Wow, so here I am, and this, uh, you know, I, I'm feeling bad in this situation at work as I've felt so many times before. Yeah, I have felt this a lot before. So why am I going through this again? You know? Do I have any choice here? Surely there's something other than this eddy, this uh, samsaric, this wheel of suffering, this over and over again in this situation with my work. I don't have any choice here. That pause, that inquiry, that investigation, that being available to, there arises a sense of possibilities that we can respond differently inside ourselves even if we can't respond to our boss who is the, you know, the difficult person in our lives. And oftentimes, as we change differently internally, the external changes, but not always. So the mind has this sense of freedom. And with this, this sense of freedom, we are able to have a life where even though we have uh, uh, the difficult in our life, it only characterizes our life. It does not define it. And we have a real sense of that. We have a real sense of genuine felt sense, not some story, but an actual sense of emerging well-being. Because we can, we can respond to things internally and or externally. We can dance with life in this way. It's real. It's skillful means. And we know it's skillful. And it, it grows in us because we recognize that we are being mindful of it. So this is the second, this moving from a reactive to a responsive mind, knowing what those are, looking for examples of it in ourselves, and practicing, not resulting, but practicing, being interested, inclining the mind in this direction, being open to the possibility, being open to the possibility in Zen, it's called beginner's mind. In Korean Buddhism, it's don't know mind. Something's arising, but I don't know how I can. Uh, I should react to this. I want to just pause for a moment and feel it rather than just go to this impulsive reactivity. Very much part of the tradition. So again, let's just pause for a moment. I want you to think of something that's mildly difficult for you, where you get mildly upset, not most upset. Don't think of political persons in this moment. Don't think of climate change. It's too overwhelming. Think of something that's mildly difficult, but that you always get called in or tend to get called in. It could be traffic. It could be a particular person. It could be a particular situation. And see if you can recognize for yourself that you do have a reactive mind state that's taking birth in it. See if you can just recognize that. Now just ask yourself, well, is it really possible that I could have all of these feelings arise but not get caught in them, not take birth in them? That I could use my mindfulness, my compassion for myself, my compassion for the other person even, and create possibility.
the second skillful means. We're not helpless in our lives. We're not helpless even in the most difficult of situations. I had a um, medical situation in January where I almost died and um, I spent a 14-hour period uh, taking pain as my object. And I didn't know I was uh, um, uh, in the dying process. I didn't know it. I had, I, had, I had a misinterpretation of my experience. But it was really quite um, a, a horrible experience. It was really horrible. And uh, amazingly, truly amazingly, my practice same old practice that we all do gave me some degree of relating to it uh, except when I was completely swept away by the pain but when I came back from being swept away I still had a, a choice there still was a responsiveness to the experience for a while I was only the horribleness of the pain there wasn't a me, there was only the horribleness of the pain, that was all that was present. But then it came back. And uh, and I was, in reflection afterwards, so aware of the power of this practice. So aware of it. Such a simple practice with so profound results. The third, and this is all we're going to have time for tonight, is that the third of these, uh, of these, is um, uh, utilizing intention in such a way that we um, that we are able to be present in this moment and not lost in the future. So, the skillful means here, in terms of dealing with the difficult, is that we have goals in relation to the difficult. We want things to improve. We want things to be different. We want to work hard or have others help us, have fortune turn our way, whatever it may be in relation to the difficult. Have things change in our society, have more social justice, whatever form this may take, any, any, the whole range of our experience. And so we have these goals, you know, that we want to have occur. And that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Uh, Goals are uh, part of spiritual practice also because we have a goal of developing our mindfulness, a goal of opening our hearts. I, in many ways, refer to them as aspirations, these so-called spiritual goals, as opposed to goals because um, you'll see why when we look at the nature of goals. But um, nonetheless, we do have what are called goals that would be applied to spiritual practice. So goals, what are goals? Goals are something that is part of, of uh, the future. If we already had it, it wouldn't be a goal, right? So goals are future-based. They are outcomes. They're results. We want a result in the future. We want a change in the future. Nothing wrong with this at all. But they are that. It is uh, result-oriented. And it it can be for a positive outcome or an achievement or all sorts of different things. Or it can be getting rid of something or avoiding something or controlling something that's negative, that's a hardship. They're goals. Have some change occur. They can be realistic or unrealistic. They can be real goals or delusional. And uh, they can uh, uh, be goals that are we're living from an if only. That's not real. If only this, I'll be happy in all aspects of my life. And we often fall into this in some way. We can get in, we get confused thinking that we're going that the truth of an immediate satisfaction or immediate relief is then going to leave this residue of well-being that is just going to continue on. And and um, that's one of the challenges about goals. 
The thing about goals is that we're always living in the future if, if our life is based solely on goals as opposed to goals simply being part of our life. So goals can be impulsive, they can be reactionary, and yet we need goals. Goals give us a way to allocate our time and our resources. Goals uh, give us a, a, a means of development. We're developing towards something. And they, they give us purpose in life. We have goals for our children. We have goals for ourselves, for our friends that are wholesome goals. They provide a spice of life. There's this, oh, am I going to make it or not make it? The soap opera, we get to live our lives like a movie. And uh, the challenge of that is, of course, we get identified with that movie. It is a movie, and we are in it. And we do have an important role to play, but we're not the star of the movie. But in, with a, a, goal, a goal-centric life, we sort of become the star of the movie rather than the, the development character in the movie. And so those are goals. They, uh, they can be very wholesome, not wholesome. They can develop with uh, uh, wholesome mind states or uh, difficult mind states. In contrast to goals, intentions are the here and now that we utilized in the meditation they're just this moment. So you have a goal to uh, play the piano. You have a goal to teach your child something. You have a goal to share a moment with your friend. So you want to walk up Mount Tam to up to Mountain Home Inn and stand there in that courtyard and watch the sun go down over Stinson Beach. So you're going up one of the trails and your friend is from out of town and has never seen uh, Mount Tam before, never certainly seen that moment of the sun going down. And it is truly beautiful. And therefore, it is a wholesome goal. And you're sharing. So there's companionship in this wholesome goal. But is it skillful means? And intention is this very moment. So you're walking with your friend up Mount Tam. Every step you take, is a moment of intentionality. With all goals and all steps we take towards all goals, there's the intention in this moment. Intentions are based on our values. So we choose different skillful means to hike up Mount Tam rather than to get a paper written, rather than to uh, uh, get something done on our computer, rather than to do a Google search. There's different skillful means we use for different goals. But the, the intention of each moment that we bring to that doesn't vary. Intention is this very moment in terms of what really matters to us. So in taking our friend up Mount Tam, we don't want to take him up a dangerous path that would be too hard for them just because we want to make sure we get there in time. That's the wrong value, Right? That's just giving everything to the goal. If they get hurt, that's okay. It's worth that risk because we want them to get the sun go down. Seems ridiculous, but how often do we do it? How often do we sacrifice uh, something that we really value in, the, in the, our thirst, our tanha? So there is, that is this moment. Likewise, with the, the friend... Uh, the friend may be not responding. You're telling them about this hike, and isn't this beautiful? And look at all this, and they're not responding right. But we keep pushing on because we're wanting to show them this hike and this beautiful mountain and get them to this thing. But in fact, they've flown in, but right before they flew in or when they were at the airport, they got this uh, unsettling medical news. And what they're wanting to do is give witness to this. But we're, not, we're missing it because we're goal-fixated. So the Buddha, uh, wise intention, was the second of the Eightfold Path. And it was, uh, the Buddha talked about it in terms of, of in, uh, intention as being, intending to be kind, intending to be truthful, intending not to cause harm, intending to be present in a way that allowed us to do this through restraint of all the sense gates. So this is intention. And this is the, this is, uh, the third skillful means of dealing with the difficult. That we move away from a total goal-centric, uh, uh, relationship, which causes us to be reactive, 
to a more balance of our goals, which again, they can be skillful, but we, we, we're living it all from a value-based intention each moment. And so then sometimes we choose to not have a goal or we choose different means of getting towards that goal, even though it may be slower and uh, uh, be more difficult, but we're staying true to ourselves. And when we're staying true to ourselves, when we're being responsive, when we're abandoning the unwholesome, avoiding the unwholesome through our beware of it, when we're moving, recognizing the wholesome when it's starting to arise, moving towards it and dwelling in it, developing it, we're moving to a way of living that has much more sense of well-being. It's characterized far more by choice far more by a sense of agency, far more by a sense of inner dignity and inner freedom. This we can see for ourselves. And to end with one last little poem, and this is from, of all people, uh, Vaclav Havel, the Czechoslovakian um, wonderful poet and leader who did so much. And it's called, It Is I Who Must Begin. It is I who must begin. Once I begin, once I try, here and now, right where I am, not excusing myself by saying things would be easier elsewhere without grand speeches and ostentatious gestures, but all the more persistently to live in harmony with the voice of being. As I understand it within myself, as soon as I begin that, I suddenly discover, to my surprise, that I am neither the only one, nor the first, nor the most important one, to have set out upon that road. Whether all is really lost or not depends entirely on whether or not I am lost. I'll read that again, that last bit. Whether all is really lost or not depends entirely on whether or not I am lost. That is the uh, deep lesson from uh, living more skillfully with the difficult, from developing the five wise efforts, from developing a responsive mind, from developing an intention to this moment. Either all is lost in this moment or not, depending on whether or not we are lost or not. So again, just sitting still for a moment. And asking yourself, what is your own intention in relation to daily life? Do you have a beginning of your distinction? What's inside you about the difference between the goals that you have for various aspects of your life and this core set of values that we call intentions that you're going to live by no matter what goal, no matter what skillful means you're applying. You won't apply unskillful means and you won't apply skillful means in an unskillful way, in a heedless way towards your goals. Can you make this distinction here and now? This is the Dharma wisdom around the difficult. Thank you for coming tonight. Thank you for your kind listening. Um, it's a pleasure to share the Dharma with you. Drive safely. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.